Adam Pascal here with Pete Lasagna, special guest Rick Beardsley. This is the first episode of Inside Roll with a Side of Pasta. We're super excited to get this going, and the thought is we have some things to say. We have good ways of saying them. We want to communicate, and we really want to open up some of the personalities in lacrosse. This isn't going to be an X's and O's podcast. It's going to be a who, what, where, why did you become, and how did you become the player and person you are. So we decided to just blast the front door open. We have a, young, a gentleman that I grew up idolizing, Hudson Valley 914 guy, was super kind to me when I was younger. We met filming in, lacrosse talk from a long, long time ago, and our friendship grew from there. But Rick's on the show, and we're really thankful. We want to find out why you're so good, Rick, the, the attitude, the motivation on the field, just your personality on the field, and I'm sure that will pour over into the rest of the conversation. But Pete, take it away. Yeah, it's just it's a pleasure to be here with you all. Uh, the the fact that I'm actually on something that's called a podcast at, at the ripe old age of 65 just uh, fills me with joy and brings a big smile to my red and gray face. Um, it's great to see you, Adam. It's great to, to be with you, Rick. Thank you so much for agreeing to be with us. Um, yeah, I mean, for for people of a certain age, and hopefully everybody, but certainly people of a certain age, you're you're one of the most dominant, never mind colorful. Uh, defenseman that's ever played. And uh, please help correct me if I got any of this uh, incorrect, but you were a four-time uh, All-American. Uh, I've always thought you probably should have been a five or six-time All-American. You know, if if you would have been in the COVID age, you would have been like a nine-time All-American. Um, but you were a two-time national champ. Uh, I believe you won a high school state championship as a, as a high school coach. You're in at least the Hudson Valley and Westchester County Halls of Fame. Um, I mean, like I said, you were you were feared, you were feared and loved and admired. We'll we'll get into more of that in in a bit, I'm sure. But part of what so first of all, did I get all that right? Yeah, and guys, thanks for having me. Like, to be honest with you, you know, the folks that don't know it, like Adam, he had the lacrosse talk and he was Adam the crank master Pascal. Yeah. So for a lot of years, I just called him the cranker. So now I have noticed that you have not noticed that at the last couple of times we've spoken, I have not called you the cranker really. Right. No, just once the other day, but I just love it. One, yes. It was just once. Yeah. And coach lasagna, you know, what can I say about you before we even start? I, I appreciate you got everything right. And there's so much more that I did because I'm just that guy, but we can't talk about the off the field stuff, but you know, truth be told, as a Syracuse guy who was not very well liked by opposing coaches or opposing players when I was between the lines, you had me for four, three years, work three weeks of Brown lacrosse camp when you were at Brown, always had the door open for me to work. That was money that I needed. And Every time we played, I will admit, I was a kind of a Brown killer. I had a lot of big goals against Brown from close defense. One of the games I, you know, one of the teams I just scored against a lot. But what I enjoyed mostly during those games, Coach, forget about being, you know, guarding Dave Evans or Oliver. It was really the interaction on the sideline. You were really always great to me. Like you never looked at me with a dirty look like other guys did when I would walk over and kind of chat. Cause I did do that. I mean, it was brashing you and I used to just walk over and start talking and 
you know, I, I did that to Dave Klarman. And, I, and and by the way, I have a great relationship with Dave Klarman still. He, you know, wanted to strangle me. I did it with Richie Moran. His face turned, you know, so bright red and wanted to, he wanted to rip my face off. I mean, I, I mean, I've done it to several guys and they've held it against me. And I've always appreciated the relationship that you've had with me, coach. I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to tell you that. Sometimes as we get older, we don't have an, you know, we don't get a chance to see people as much as we did in the past. And we don't often have a, a chance to tell them before maybe they meet their maker of the, of what they did for you. And for that coach, I'm very thankful and I'm extremely honored to be on here. And I've talked way too much. So now I'll shut up. No, don't shut up. I, I really appreciate all that, man. And I, I totally agree. And certainly as, as I age, that means more, that kind of sentiment means more and more to me. Um, I appreciate you sharing all that. I just loved competing against you. I love the way you competed and, uh, quite honestly. And we did get to know each other in a different way because you worked at my camp with a, with a, a legendary uh, staff. That was, that was a lot of fun to patrol on, on Thayer street after the session was over and never. And, and the, I mean, like you still are, you were the friggin' Pied Piper. I mean, kids just, kids related to you. And uh, anyway, I, so thank you for all that. That that means a lot. It it was, those were really, really fun years. And man, did we play some great games uh, mm -hmm. against each other. And as I observed the other night to you, we had to wait until you and, and some of your friends graduated uh, before we could actually uh, beat, beat Syracuse uh, in the Dome. So uh, you just alluded to some of it, right? But the first thing that I really wanted to ask you was you had an extremely unique style. And, and part of what we used to emphasize as coaches when we were trying to get our people ready to play you and, and your team was that the most dangerous situation in the world was the ball being on the ground in our offensive end, right? But Anyway, I digress. You played a very, very, very unique style and, and not a style that, that we see anybody trying to play today. So I'm just curious, you know, as you were young coming up, how did you develop that style? I mean, you you almost it's almost like a, an NBA, ABA thing. Like you were an ABA player before your time. How did you develop your style? You know, it's a, it's a, that's a great question. And there's a few parts to the answer. One was, if you, you know, you're only as good as what your coaches allow you to be, number one, right? So when you're on a field and in practice, the only way to get better in those two to two and a half hours that they're allowing you to be on that team, because you are allowed to be on that team, it should be an honor to be on your team, um, on that team. But so I had great coaching. I had coaching that gave me enough string or rope, as they would say in high school in Frank Vitola. Um, but disciplined you at the same time. So, you know, so the biggest thing I think I I did for that part of it was I look at what Michael Jordan used to say. And, you know, I heard it the other day and, and I didn't hear it for, what, 50 years of my life. He said that, you know, people often are afraid to shoot and you can't have that fear because it either goes in or you miss. But it's two things. It's not 50 things that can go wrong. It's just one. And the other one could be really successful. I think I was not afraid of making mistakes. And that, in this day and age, even with my own children, my both my daughters, Angela, uh, who's going to Stony Brook to play lacrosse, and my, our youngest daughter, Viviana, who's an eighth grader, who's a, quite a great lacrosse player in her own right. 
at this point in her life, I think, you know, the fear, the lack of fear to make mistakes for one and the fear of others will hold people back. Right. So I was very lucky to to be able to understand that early in my life and be, a you know, that was a big driver. And then I went to a all American lacrosse camp in Utica, New York. And, and this is the truth. This is where it all came from. I do remember it vividly. I've been interviewed a few times. So Billy Pilot, who's the current coach at Roanoke right now, you know how great Bill Stick was. Coach Pilot Stick was amazing. So he would do a stick demo with a goalie stick. So people that know him don't know him. Billy Pilot is a goalie coach, one of the original goalie coaches in the country. He'd been doing a camp forever, but he's you know college coach. But his stick was sick. And one thing he had said that sticks out so vividly, and trust me, my head is filled with lack of brain cells, you know, probably early onset CTE, you know, clouds of booze back in the day, um, you name it. And he said that I want my stick to be as good as any offensive player stick. So I do a ton of stick work. And I was amazed. He had this baby thrown to me on it. Like, so that I walked away from that, that little conversation that, you know, and all of us have been influenced by certain people, but I don't think he even knows this uh, probably till now. And I just said, man, if a goalie can do this and, 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 you know, that guy can go behind him, why can't I? And then I realized that when you did those things, the crowd went, ooh, and that right there is, you know, a high. I mean, it's just – and then you, you, I was a rare combination maybe. It's not even arrogance. It's kind of like just trying to figure out who you are. I was a rare combination of the fear of failure, uh, you know, a lot of anger, right? Um, and, you know, it just – when I was on a field, it just came out. And – I listened to a podcast last night and, um, you know, I was, they were talking about out of body experiences and I, and I was thinking back, have I ever really had one? And, and I don't know if I did or I didn't, or I was out of my body for Christ's sakes, but uh, the closest high I think I've ever come to what that might be was my freshman year against Carolina. I remember bringing the ball down. There was like 17,000 people in the stands. My first game ever, I was running the ball. I stripped a guy, ran it over the midline and I heard the crowd roar. And right then and there solidified everything I had done in my life with the pleasure of like the high of what it feels like. And, you know, I, you know, I can also credit my teammates, my teammates, since I was young, were really good lacrosse players and they church all the time. Like I do thank God every day that I'm here. I do say, you know, thank you, Lord, for allowing me one more day on this earth because I really enjoy it. Thank you for everybody that's healthy. I do say that affirmation every single day in my life, actually. Um, but man, if my teammates weren't so good, how would I have ever gotten challenged and gotten good? I mean, I played with my high school team had probably all in those four years of varsity, 20, 30 division one, future division one guys. Uh, my, you know, and then I went off to Syracuse and there I was playing against a player of the year every, you know, every single year of my life. And, you know, I, I when I got at Syracuse, I failed in the beginning and I learned a lesson of failure. So you ask how I got my style. It was all of the above. And then also looking at my contemporaries and loving how Dave Petromala could take over a game, loving how, you know, guys who don't know Steve Kissinger will now of how, you know, Steve Kissinger was a fear of no one when he played and, you know, didn't care about, you know, being in a mold. 
And, uh, you know, hence, obviously, it's hurt me later in my career with, you know, I'm in two Hall of Fames, but not in the big one. And, and that's OK. Um, you know, I think I think that, you know, I, I could have a million opinions and be sour grapes about it. You know, maybe that'll happen. I think it will. But but the biggest thing is, um, you know, that's what shaped it. it. It was a lot of things. And I I was a student of the game. I would go to bed thinking about. If a guy got a step on me, how could I recover if I went over his head? Like I thought about every scenario. Now, what did that, what did that do? That certainly hurt me in the classroom, right? Because I was you know, thinking about lacrosse all the time. So I wasn't going to, you know, Williams College. I was not going to, you know, uh, Brown. But I did get a co- phone call from Coach Anderson at Harvard, my first day, you could get a phone call wishing me luck on my recruiting process because he knew I could not get into Harvard. So, but it was nice of him to do that. And I know he's retired now and uh, he's living probably in Boston. So Coach Anderson, thank you for that. But that long Cliff Notes version is how I became what I became. And also the biggest thing was I said, why not me? You score goals, I can score goals. Why can't I do that? And if also I was better than the guy I was guarding, I was putting the ball on the floor. Why would I just run with a guy because I could run with a guy? Like if I'm better than you, let me make me make myself better than you. Let me impose my will on you till I break you. I can get my distinct advantage on you. And if it's and if it ruffled your feathers and your parents' feathers and your coaches' feathers and your teammates' feathers, but guess what? I got two rings for it, four All Americas. So somehow I did something pretty right with my brain and my mouth too. Yes, you did. Thank you, Rick. That was fantastic. Rick, when you think back of where you grew up and some of these people and places, could you have played the way you did if you weren't super athletic in 6'3"? Like people don't might not know you were an all-section kicker, like you're super athletic. You had all these interests, but find people that can do what you did athletically, much less the hands and the much less your hands. Did you find it was just like the perfect storm kind of once you figured out who you were? Well, you know, I wasn't always like the fastest and all that stuff. Growing up, I was tall, quick, and uh, I you know I wasn't. I make the running joke in the house with Angela, our oldest. She's the only one with the Presidential Physical Fitness Award for New York State, um, and you know I never got that. I wasn't the best athlete in fifth grade. I turned out to be one of the best athletes, you know, in in the county. Obviously, by the time I was a senior, um, you know, for me, I, I guess I'm a guy with a lot of energy. And I, and I, you know, my dad was a football, basketball, baseball guy. I was lucky. My mom, Angela, you know, she was an all-county softball player. My dad was an all-county football player. You know, they didn't come from much, right? Nourishell and Mount Vernon. And, you know, for me, you know, I was athletic. I still think I'm a pretty good athlete. I think that's the key to it all. Like, you know, it came pretty easy to me, Adam. And, and I don't mean it with arrogance. Like, I just was athletic and coordinated. I, one thing I always say, like, People ask me, were you big? Were you strong? Were you this? I always just say I was a lot of enoughs. I was just big enough. I was just strong enough. I was just fast enough. My stick was just good enough. So if you combine a lot of enoughs, that could that gets a pretty good complete player, right? And I think the one thing I did differently than others is I developed it at a young age. You know, my neighborhood, there was a lot of boys in the hood. And, you know, you got in fights. People picked it and you went. It was no one going to their mom or dad and, you know, saying, oh, look, you know, Adam punched me in the face. I have a, 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 blood, a cut. Your mom just asked you, why you got a cut on your face? I got in a fight with with Shine. OK, what does he look like? Yeah, he's a little worse, mom. 
okay, is his mom going to come over? I don't think so. All right. You know, those types of things growing up. And then, you know, Adam, you grew up in Westchester, right? I always call it Westchester, the best Chester, right? It was a different place back then than it is now. And, and, and I'm not saying that society is soft. I'm not saying yeah. any of that. I'm sure I probably fought my parents at times. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't remember doing it, but I'm sure everybody does. Right. So, you know, I just was, I was the product of two people that happened to put together a pretty good guy genetically and they were athletic and they allowed me to be me. And I, you know, I have nervous energy. So I always, you know, I love football. Let me just tell you right now, my favorite, my favorite sport is football. I want to throw my body at another human being for, for 60 minutes. Are you kidding me? That's the greatest thing in the world to throw my body at another human. Like, who, who created that sport? And thank you for it. You know, Dr. You know, I, I mean, come on. But uh, yeah, so yeah, I, you know, I, I'm very proud of the things I did in other sports. Uh, I often, you know, knew that football was, you know, was, I wanted football to be my calling. And it was only to the one double A level. It wasn't to the one A level. So lacrosse was my thing there, Cranker. Pete, I know you have the next question, so let's just keep Rick going. He's doing a great job. Yeah, no, amen. <laughs> amen. So uh, I'm curious. I only thought of this as I was just listening to you, Rick. You have stayed in the game, obviously, in a in a million different ways. Um, we certainly want to hear about, uh, uh, about some of the stuff that you are doing. But what really struck me as I was listening to you, and I was, I was kind of flashing back on, um, I was doing a little, uh, you know, quick shots clips right maybe the first time i saw you play live maybe the first time i saw you which i imagine was probably at hofstra in a playoff game um maybe as an eighth grader did you make the varsity as an eighth grader no no it can't like, coach vitola like, kept us all together we never played jv put us right okay. all kept us on for uh freshman and put us right to varsity okay so it must have been as a ninth grader yeah you know with you making some play i'd never seen a ninth grader make and mm. and dodge somebody and and uh you know Again, did the crowd say ooh and ah? Absolutely. So anyway, I was flashing back on some of that stuff. The three that you scored against Greg Catrano that day, I, I actually don't want to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> but you've now, part of what you do is coach younger players. So I'm curious if you've ever spent much time thinking about how you, today, Rick, would coach you, young Rick. Yes, 100%. I've thought about that all the time. Because when I first got to CBA, I made the mistake of thinking the kids in 2008 were the kids of 1995. <laughs> no, no. Was it 2008? Yeah, it might have been 2008. Yeah, they were the kids of 1995. And, and they weren't. And uh, I taught them like they were in 1995. And I had to get my and I had a lot of talent. And I had to get myself out of that uh, quickly. And it, it was difficult. Um, you know, I had to open my mind to things. Yes. Could I coach myself? I'm, you know, people say I couldn't coach. I could 100% coach myself because I can tell you, honestly, I was a good teammate. I cared a lot about my, my team. I cared a lot about winning. I was very selfless as much as people could say you're selfish. I knew when to pass the ball off on a break instead of dodging. I knew when to dodge when I had a sieve in front of me, if I was going to, with my long stick, I knew that if the ball was at the end of the game, I would look at coach Vitola and he wouldn't have to say anything. He'd just look at me and nod. And I go, boys, shut off. I got it. I'm going to put it on the floor. Just get open. 
And, and it was, you know, so I could coach myself because I do write my scouting reports and, you know, could I coach myself? Yes, because I designed my scouting reports around matchups and mismatches. Um, and I've made some really good defensemen in my day. Um, and, and no one, I'm going to be quite honest with you, no one will be me. There will be no me. I will tell you, you people who are listening can be like, oh, this guy's arrogant. I'm an anomaly. And I, there'll be no more. There'll be, there will not be another Rick Beardsley. I was, I'm one of a kind, right? I'm not, I'm not, I don't look the part. There was no one who had the combination of being really dangerous in one end and really dangerous in the other. And then really dangerous between the lines. Now there's good guys like, you know, there's guys like Brody Merrill, all those guys, they can all compete. They're all hall of famers, but there's only one me that's done it for a long time. You know, I, I was a 15 year old kid destroying college all Americans in high school. It, and I was lucky enough to, to do that. And there's cassette tapes upon cassette tapes to watch those. Um, you know, I played in an era and for a coach that was coach, you know, I had the three goals against Brown the one year. What coach allows you to do that? Like, so, so could I coach myself? 100% yes, because everything I do, I had a great core of basics as well. Even though I had flash, I worked on my stick constantly. You know, no one knows that I was the first guy to practice shooting all the time on my D stick and the last guy to leave. And when I was out of shape, I would hand my keys to Mike Smiley, the late Mike Smiley, God rest his soul, my college roommate. And I would put a sweatshirt on and jog my ass back to South campus in my turfs from the carrier dome in shorts in the snow because I needed to get the extra running in and they were shutting down the lights in the dome because basketball was done. So, you know, could I coach myself? 100% yes. Would I want myself on my team? Hell yes. Because I'm, you know, I'm arguably one of the best high school players that's ever played. And, and I will, I don't care what anyone says, put me up against anybody, ask all the guys, they'll tell you. And, and that's not arrogance. That's 100% confidence. We saw it. We agree. Rick, we climbed and glossed over this and it's a question I've had for you. Why, why and how did you start playing with the pole? What, what, oh, easy. You... That's so easy. And this guy's going to hear this and he's going to go nuts and text me 700 times from Franklin Square. Dan Reardon, who was a John Jay defenseman, Pete, about your age, right? Went, went to Hobart first, then to Villanova, uh, was my sister's swim coach. His sisters and him were our Shrub Oak AC swim coach. They lived in John Jay. And Dan was a defenseman. He was a swimming coach as well. And I was a big kid and I was going to take up lacrosse. And my and Dan said, Rick is so big. He should just be a defenseman. So my mother, not knowing anything, Angela Beardsley, not knowing anything, just walked into sports barn and said, all right, you know, we got to get him all outfitted up. He's going to go to lacrosse camp. And then they handed him a short stick. She said, no, 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 no. What are you doing? He's going to be a defenseman. Give him that long stick. Well, most kids at their age start with a short stick, you know, Don Peters said the, the old owner, um, you know, the first owner, his kids still own it now. Um, but my mom gave me a, a deep hole. So right off the bat, and that I think was very different. And that is what helped me develop because that's, you know, I, I've started with a deep hole. And I was the only kid, by the way, Adam, at uh, 
Yorktown Rec Lacrosse. It was at uh, Nelson Brothers Camp. I was the only guy with a deep ball. And I never played with a short stick in literally for like till Vitolo, till Coach Vitolo wanted to try and make me a midfielder. And I got so many penalties, it was not even close. I, I wasn't moving my feet. I was just taking baseball swings at guys. So that is why I'm a defenseman. That is the truth. And then, as you know, Coach, recruiting in the era, the, the shift went from the big, slower guys playing close D to the more athletic guys going to close defense where we, you know, the size difference shrunk a bit, right? So you went from those 6'2", 6'3", guys to the 6'1", 6'2", guys. And now you wanted the athletic guys on that side of the field just for that era. Not saying that those other guys weren't athletic, but that was the trend. So then you became, you had, you know, Adam, you had 10 athletes across the field or maybe nine, maybe your goalie wasn't the guy who was the athlete, but you had 10 athletes across the field versus you guys that were slower were here. The fast guys who could run forever here, the little short little guys here. And then the big heavy set guy down here in the, between the pipes, it became that more of that, that transition type defender. And, and I fit that, I fit that void at, you know, six, one, and I was, what was I like my freshman year is like 5'11, 195. By the time I graduated, I was 6'1, 215. So, you know, those were that's the way it worked. And and, and now obviously, you know, people can say, ah, oh, you're not that big. Dude, I listen, if I didn't tear both my Achilles tendons, I still compete at 50 years old with young kids. Hmm. I think I would have had a long career had I had the right guidance. My father, you know, my father just living in Florida, there was no guidance there. Just like, yo, figure out where to live. You know, while other guys were worrying about the MLL, I was worried about going to Home Depot and working and what was in inventory for Christmas. So, you know, my life took a different path than most of those. And it, you know, took the path off lacrosse and it swung back big right into lacrosse. So I'm very fortunate with that. Rick, you, you, had you mentioned when I first asked you sort of how you developed your game, you mentioned uh Coach Vitola and and others that were instrumental. Um you also went to Syracuse and played for one of the most accomplished, enigma- enigmatic, and interesting uh people. And and I never really had thought about this before, Rick, but I'm thinking about it right now as I get older and smarter and don't have to worry about getting ready for a college lacrosse season anymore. And so my, my brain has more, more capacity. Um, I would qualify you as a bit of a misunderstood, great, great player, misunderstood person. Maybe. I I don't think I'm insane for saying that. And I might say that I might say the same about the person that you played for, right? Some people uh, love and loved and adore him and other people just couldn't really figure him out. So I, I, I'm just curious to sort of continue the thread that that you started early on here. Um, tell us a little bit about playing for Roy Simmons. Well, you hit the nail on the head with, you know, him not being understood. And, you know, people just saw the guy with the white hair and the big whale, uh, you know, pants and the black sneakers and the jacket when it was 80, you know, to 90 degrees. You know, Coach Simmons had a big influence on all of us because he understood the one essential thing. We were individuals, and he wanted our individual talent to flourish. Mm. And, you know, Syracuse in the 90s and late 80s was one of those spots where, you know, there were some guys that got a little trouble here and there, 
but he would, he was like your father, like my father, my father, when he died, I used to think about the things he let me do, the trust. And basically he gave you enough trust and that, you know, you didn't want to, you did not want to just abuse that trust or make him upset with you. Not because he would yell and scream at you because he didn't. He rarely, I rarely got yelled at. I got a few, a few times. I got one where, you know, final champ, national championship game. I wasn't on Kevin Lowe's hands. He called a timeout, went out and lit me up. I ran to that huddle as quick as I could. Um, but that was rare. He just understood who we were. And we also, the biggest thing I, I heard him say on the lost trophy was he knew that we were 18 to 21 year old kids and that we would make mistakes and mistakes happen. But if we feared after that mistake, that would hold us back. So he would hope that if he lets us be, our talent would take us to the next level. You know, you know, I call myself an NFE. I use NFE. People are like, what's that? I'm, like, I'm a not for everyone. And I know that. And, and, and um, I've discovered that later in my life, coach. I think he bat. I think he battles with like who you know trying to be in the mainstream because he thinks he knows he has to be, but he doesn't want to. I think now that he's older, he doesn't care. But with us, he he let us be us, and you know, I mean, and there is a story everybody knows that I walked in. I said, "I hate this place. I'm out, guys. Thanks for the opportunity, coaches. I'm going home." And I drove almost to Cortland and then turned around and came back. And Coach Simmons, you know, he didn't say shit to me. Just like, all right whatever like is what it is like he just probably was like he'll be back like you know i i came right back said coach i'm sorry it's the only place that like will have me like because if i had went somewhere else you know i got recruited by everyone if i had went somewhere else with the exception of maybe playing for you coach because you were a little bit like him you really are in a lot of ways um i, I don't think i would have been able to play i think i would have been you know, I think my talent would have been great. I think I still would have been, a, you know, a, a good lacrosse player. You know, the difference between the first team All-Americans and the seconds and thirds are the first teams are the great ones. And I'm not saying anything against guys who've been second teamers. The first teamers do great things. They do things that go above and beyond what the what the mold and what the the, the check the boxes. They do the intangibles. Um, you know, score goals, take the ball away, uh, you know, rattle, you know, big turnovers when the time comes, big ground balls, um, you know, thread the needle on a pass, get an assist, you know, or, you know, you know, talk, you know, give your, give your teammate the pep talk you need to, to go, uh, you know, so that is the difference. And yeah, if I didn't play for him, coach, I don't think we're having this conversation in this way. I don't think that I have the notoriety that I, I got. Um, I also don't think I have the hate. And I'm okay with the hate. Because most people that know me off a of field very much like me. And those people that don't know me off the field choose not to know me. And that is something you struggle with when you're a parent, right? You want to you want to be good around you. You want to be good good for your kids, and you want to be good for you, and you want to be good for your business, right? So I have a lacrosse brand, 
That is my business. I train defensemen. I have my day job where I do apparel for the teams and all that. And that's a great, and that's the majority of my income being at Mercury Printing. And, and I'm blessed to have that job because it allows me to do the other things. But I wouldn't know and have all the little nook, nooks and crannies that I can give. So I told you earlier, I've coached over 1,700 defensemen in the last 12 months in just three states. You know, And that's not what many can say. Playing for Coach Simmons in so many ways to bring it kind of back was it sh- it shaped my career it it hurt my career too but he's not at fault for that because what is the ultimate thing you want in your teams is to win i can always look myself in the mirror and say i'm a i'm a winner so when you have a bad day you literally can look and go i'm a winner like people can say, people say the affirmation who are losers. I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I can literally say, dude, like I'm a winner. I know what it takes to win. And I know the work it takes to win. Winning national championships, as all of us know in this, is not easy. Mm-mm. 1994, most talent we ever had in my roster on Syracuse, lost to Virginia in double overtime. Yours truly beat for the game winner, blew a five goal lead. They scored seven goals in the fourth quarter, the first six right off the bat to make it a one-goal game. Like, that team had so much talent, but the problem was we didn't have that intangible of loving each other Hmm. as we should have. So that's what – so, like, that's what he made us do. He made us, you know, believe in ourselves, believe in what we were doing, believe in the guy next to us. He did not have to – um micromanage us at practice he we we managed ourselves if a guy didn't go hard for a ground ball and we thought he was slacking that dude got a punch in the face because we weren't here to be losers we we're here to be winners and that's what we did at Syracuse that's why you know, I'm often ridiculed because when I get interviewed because I'm the guy that gets interviewed since I live in Syracuse right on the radio all the time you know I remember a bunch of years ago like got up to sixth and everybody's like, oh, they're at six. I was like, dude, six is, I don't know. You guys could, you asked me the question, six? <laughs> six is not acceptable. And people, but they, but this is the issue with this, this generation. People, everybody's the GOAT. Everybody, a guy, you know, a kid who's on a club team dodges and scores, and he's the sickest move in the world. This is the deal. Adam and coach, when you... Tell me that a kid's legit. I talked to Adam about this the other day when we were driving home. I was driving back. I said, you tell me a kid's legit. I think Casey Powell. I think Dave Petromala. I don't think some dude who's like the best in like the county. whoop de do. I think that level. Does that make sense? It does. And it, it really, thank you. It, it seemed, it really seemed, and I'll give Adam a chance to get in here, but just to sort of wind up on, on you playing for coach Simmons, which I appreciate all that support, all of it um, from an outside, an outsider who was also an insider in terms of you and Roy and a couple other people yeah. that, that I got to know better that were on your team. It seemed like he was the perfect cook for you and and the other ingredients. I mean, it, it really, from the outside, and that's why it was terrifying to play you guys, is, is like you said, 
he allowed you all to be you as individuals, but also come together as that dominant group. And let's be honest, you know, like you said, part of the reason why maybe there is not more soft, warm, fuzzy out there for some people that don't feel that way about you and maybe some people that don't feel that way about Coach Simmons. But like you said, as as we get older, everybody remembers that they like us more than, than they actually did. Um, it's because you didn't just win. You know, you were dominant and you were doing it with a game that not many other people. Oh, we stuck it in your face, Coach. Play. No. How no. bad was that? Like, here's the deal. <laughs> We didn't only just win. We shoved it in your face. We legitimately, we duck walked. We jumped in the stands. We talked to girls out. We called girls out from the stands. We did it all. And, you know, that song from Frank Sinatra that my wife danced with to her dad at our wedding, you did it my way. That is Coach Simmons. If he doesn't know that that song is 100% him. And I don't, I'm not struck as Coach Simmons being a Frank Sinatra guy. Right. Uh, myself, I would obviously still strike myself looking the way I look as a Frank Sinatra guy. But he did it his way and didn't care. You know, and Coach Desco was, you know, we forget about Coach Desco. He was right along for the ride with him. And he kind of was that guy that guided you, yelled at you, kept you in check. He was the one that made dude's ass pucker up. I, I didn't personally, only because like one part of me would say, who the hell are you going to get to replace me? That was one reason. Number two was my father, Fred, was the same way. Yelled at you, yelled at you, yelled at you, screamed at you, quick temper. We forget about him. You know, if it wasn't for Coach Desco's kind of X's and O's and Letting us be also, we would have never had this success, but you're right. We stuck it in people's faces, coach. And that was not well, like we used to call it the Baltimore bias. We used to say we would play, you know, we would play Hopkins down at Hopkins and be playing 13 on 10. And and by the way, we would often verbalize that. Some guys would. I knew how to talk to the refs. I knew to never yell. I knew to never be animated. And I would walk by them and be like, you know, that was a, pretty bad call like you blew that one you owe me on that one i'm going to the box for you i mean that's a brush come on now and then just jog to the box you know serve my penance and come back out and that baltimore bias we used to call it that was against us and but that was not the way lacrosse was played and now it, it is so coach in a way helped revolutionize the way we look at celebration the way we celebrate the game um and how the game is played now the game has gotten back to its traditional ways of being slow and and if a, if a defenseman scores oh my god a defenseman scores people hallelujah they go crazy that was an everyday occurrence you had some guys scored plenty of goals for you in your career coach uh I, you know from the dn so uh, you know it wasn't fitzy he couldn't he didn't score many goals he couldn't get up and down but uh, you know, you had some great ones in your own right. Dennis Dennis Sullivan Sullivan got got one in a losing effort in that same Final Four that that you referenced earlier uh, when we were getting beaten by the Tigers. Um, so yeah, and and just to sort of conclude here on on Coach Simmons and and your last observation in terms of the 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 cosmology, the the total picture and and the impact it had on you all, but also the impact it had on the opponents. It made a really strong impression on me as a very young new 
head coach talking to him at practice the day before we were going to play Syracuse the next day. Um, and he talked about how him as a consultant for the people that were going to be doing the telecast. I was like, what are you talking about? And he was like, he talked about the color of the stands. He talked about the color. I mean, everything. He looked at it as the artist that he mm -hmm. is. That yeah. it like that was part of the whole thing was how it was going to look on television, and that was so far from anything that I had ever thought of as a longtime Division One assistant and then a, a a new young Division One head coach. And I I was it was like this this man is a, is doing this at a whole different level and i actually thought you talk about it being slow and it's interesting uh, it's both slow and fast right now i think oddly enough but i was thinking how many goals would you guys have scored if there was a damn shot clock or maybe it oh. wouldn't matter maybe it wouldn't have affected your game at all because you played like there was one but wow 70 shots a game was our goal without a shot clock yeah oh that was our goal that was what was 70 shots a game that and he would say gotta shoot gotta shoot score and I mean, I do a terrible coach Simmons, but, you know, he also would say stuff like, guys, take a shot. Maybe you follow through and take them down the first couple of minutes. They might think about not shooting anymore. That's why you notice in the beginning of games or we tried to take, we took, we took cross-check fouls to the face a lot. That was actually kind of like he wanted us to do that. You know, that's the one thing also that the game has gotten more selfish individually. And that's one thing that, like, you don't see. You know, if somebody touched our attackman, you know, if we did not meet that guy walking to the box from our end, so, like, if, you know, Casey Powell got a bad shot on him, or, you know, you know, Rat Boy, my boy Cavo, God rest his soul, used to catch it all the time. If Cavo got it or Tommy got it and or Matt got it, you know, Jamie or Bet, dude, we straight up. That guy was walking the box. You often saw us on the jog towards that guy face to face. Like, dude, you do that. Now you're, you're dead. Come down on our end. I got free shafts. I'm breaking your legs. <laughs> like, and P I mean, people are going to listen to me like, yeah, yeah, they did that. No, no, they did. We did. Oh yeah. Because that is Syracuse's in your face style. And that was, that was actually told to, for us to do. And by the way, we had no problem obliging. <laughs> no, you did not. I love totally. that. I love that. I get free sticks. That's no, yeah, I used to say all the time, like, dude, I'm bending. I'm going to break this shaft on your knee. I get free sticks. <laughs> I, I mean, I used to. I said, what was it? Who was? Oh, Joe. Uh, God, what was his name from Towson? I remember. I yelled over. I'm like, yo, this guy's fast. I said, man, I'm going to take one across your knee and make you my speed today. And he just looked at me, Joe Genovese, and just looked at me like, I was like, oh, yeah, dude, I'm taking, because they used to, you know, Vitola used to tell us, like, guy was real fast, ah, go for a check, catch some knee, your, your speed for the game. Now, people would say, oh, that's so cheap. Oh, that's so cheap. Yeah, you're right. That was the one part where you really, like, but maybe you didn't get a call. But also, guess what? That dude thinks differently on the next ground ball. And that's the problem with this game. You know, the, the defensemen aren't violent enough. They need to be more violent. Your guys, even at Brown, coach, were tough. 
They would bring it to you. If I, listen, if I went down on a ground ball in that end, trust me, I knew I was getting carved up. I thank God never dropped it in that end. Oh, I knew I would have got it. And if Cat could have got a chance to take a baseball swing on my face, he would have done it too. No doubt. So believe me, I get it. Adam. Rick, so we're trying to start a couple things on the series here on the podcast. So we're going to start it off right now. We're going to give you five questions and just kind of put a little bit of a clock on it for a minute each. Yeah, I'll get it. I'll get them quick. I promise. No worries, because this is some of the nuts and bolts stuff that we kind of want to crawl into your head a little bit and find out what's oh, going on. There's so, not much in there, guys. Well, I'm sure there's a lot more. Than, my SATs. A lot more than everyone thinks. So you're a we're just going to go back and forth. You're an Ivy League graduate. That's bullshit. NESCAC graduate. There are other reasons why I got into the NESCAC besides my muscular 1020. <laughs> so we're going to talk just back and forth. And the first question I want to know, Rick, is who is the best guy you ever had to cover? Joe Matassa. Who is Duke. Joe Matassa? Yep. See, coach, coach, coach Lasagna knows who he is. Yep. And coach, I saw actually Joe Matassa. Uh, this summer, his son is going somewhere. Lived down in Annapolis. Joe Matassa, attackman from Duke. Duke was kind of booty back then until Coach Pressler got them. Then, like man, he turned it quickly. Um, only guy in my life. I was a freshman at the Brown Invit- in Fleet Invitational. Got a pen, cross pen. I don't know. Probably CEO of Brown or something. Whatever it was like CEO of Cross is like a Brown alum. All you rich guys, I don't know. But yes, Joe Matassa. First dude ever in my career since I was a little kid, nine years old, picked up a long stick, crossed my feet up on a move behind, literally feet like this, didn't score, thank God. And then that made me so angry at him that all I did was chase him all over the field and never give him a chance to run at me and get his hips that way on me again. So there it is. Mark Millen's pissed. Matt Ryder's pissed right now. But it was Joe Matassa. Sorry, guys. Favorite, and I know this is going to be hard to do it quick, but you did a great job with that, Joe Matassa. <laughs> Your favorite personal lacrosse memory? I'll give you one of my favorite Rick Beardsley ones while he thinks of it. I, I was so 13. Folks, that's why. Thir- 13 years old on Copper Beach out on the field on like a random day before Empire tryouts. We had met through lacrosse talk. And my dad had asked Rick if he could spend some time and just teach me the game a little bit. So we were out on the, I still remember the middle field at Copper Beach where tryouts were going to be a couple of weeks later. And I'm out there like with literally Rick Beardsley chasing me around. And I go, and the first thing you say, he goes, Adam, always dodge from the wing because defensemen don't know where they are on the wing. You can't say where they are and you can't say what's coming. And I took that little piece from 13 years old and whatever kind of a career you could say I had, I had it off of that statement right there. Because to the day, to the day, you cannot deal with a big kid rumbling off the wing. So, nope. Rick, what's your memory? All right. So my 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 fondest memory. We're talking about coach. We're talking about college, pro, or high school in general. Open, open answer. Oh man, Jesus this is so hard. I'd have to say my freshman year, my first game against Carolina. My first takeaway, my first cause turnover was in like the first minute and a half um, on uh, John. Oh, God, it'll come to me. And it was when I picked it up and I shoved it back in his face as I was rolling and threw it to Saran. And then to hear the roar of the crowd, that was 
that, I mean, that's not even my, I can't like, I coach, I have so many, like my father, my father, after the national championship, you know, being able to, um, you know, when he was smoking a cigar and he never smoked, you know, like, you know, or my daughter, Angela, you know, in this, in the county championship here in Bergen County, after being this, you know, almost breaking her ankle and warmups, like dropping five and it was a one goal loss. And, you know, or my, my daughter Viv, you know, sick behind the backs, like, you know, or, or my, my, you know, one of my greatest recent memories is my daughter Viviana and Lake Placid telling guys I'm guarding. They don't want that smoke. Like, so chirping from the sideline, my 13 year old kid, you don't want that smoke. And, and they didn't like, let's be honest. And they're, you know, I'm playing legends. There'll be named you know, guys that I'm not going to say names, but they didn't want the smoke of the fat guy. But, uh, you know, coach, I wish I could give you that one, that one answer, but oh, I, that's a beautiful. Answer. You know, another great, you know, listen, like another one is, you know, when I got a chance to walk up and talk to you and Bresh during that, you know, during a myriad of games, I used to just walk over and be like, Jesus, I'm lighting you guys up. Like Bresh would just laugh at me. Like, uh, Christ, why did I do that? Why did I do those things coach? Cause it was, cause you were having fun. You were not thinking about it too much. You were living in the moment. And in an example, us, not so much maybe Coach Moran, but with us, you also knew us and we knew you. Like, yes. I, I thought it was perfectly acceptable. And I also don't, I don't remember my players, our players having an issue with us. I, I was going to say, while Adam is getting ready for his next one minute that we seem to not be doing great with on this one, yep. um, was one of my favorite Rick Beardsley memories was the phone ringing. We lived in Peacedale, Rhode Island at the time. I was the Brown head coach. Uh, we had young children and I might've been changing one of those young children upstairs. So I couldn't get down to the phone. It went to message. And didn't I hear that very distinctive, very loud, very confident voice that I knew well on the other end, describing in graphic detail, not one, not two, but three goals scored against the proud Brown University team. Uh, and then it ended with a flourish and it was beautiful. I was like, that that can only be one human on this earth. That's one of my favorite Rick Beardsley memories. Uh, yeah, well, it, it's, I, not many not many times you get an opposing player call the coach and tell him how he lit up his team. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I know that didn't hurt me in the in the votings because I knew I wasn't worried about you hurting my, my me. Vote, in the my, my vote was okay. Yes, yeah. Rick, the next one's a two-parter, kind of. The first is, why 47? And the second part is, have you ever worn crew socks? Okay, why uh, 47? Mom died at 47 of cancer, uh, Angela. Um, so I was 14. I, I, I rolled with 47. I was like, whatever. the high, you know, You're always the higher numbers because you're bigger. And then I grabbed 47. And when I had a chance to have 47, I didn't know when I was going to Syracuse, they wanted to give me 29. I said, nah, I'm good. Um, now they have this 11 thing. I don't know what number 11 is really good. It's like, is a four timer. I know that Pat McCabe's the greatest to ever play there. I would probably be number two. Um, but I guess 29 equals 11 and four and seven equals 11. So I guess that would be why they do that. But 47 was wow. because of wow. my mom. Okay. And then, uh, what was, have I ever wore crew socks? It's a spectacular question. No. <laughs> Uh, I tried it one time when I had calves that were big 
they looked good because then, but then when you tear both your Achilles tendons in your thirties, you have what I call the dude who looks like he doesn't do legs in the gym legs. And I do do legs, but because of the massive amount of, a, of, um, of, you know, the muscle shrinkage, I have so much like edema that, you know, that's why I gave up drinking basically three years ago. Um, and and the other thing was uh, I, I didn't realize it was a poison, so I had no idea. But you know, to this day and right now, I'm going to put it on. Well, hold on, I got canes on, and it is what what it's like 40s here, so that's like a heat, uh, heat wave for me. Oh, so my I don't know if this is the last one or not, Adam. I will I will let you be the the guide there. No, you got it, Pete. Okay, um, but and this is. It's going to be challenging for you to do this in a minute. Um, why? Again, we have celebrated you and your style for the last hour here, and it's been beautiful. And I know you have an opinion, and I'm excited to ask you this question. And you're not allowed to say because of the sticks. Or you can have that. Be anyway, okay. why aren't there any? I'm not going to say any. Why are there so few? aggressive takeaway defenders today at all levels growth of the game games growing quicker than the ability to teach that first and foremost um forget rules there's been no real rule anyway that's helped the, de the defense right think about it oh the shot clock that's gonna help the defense no it's not it's gonna just force you to be in a zone when the time comes guys aren't still going out and chasing the ball uh, it is without a doubt the growth of the game, and that is not anything against any coaching. Mm. There's just not many guys that un that know it, understand it, and really know how to teach it. They think they do, um, and that is really the big thing. It is necessary for the growth of the game. Also, less risk. It nowadays less risk, more reward, mm. is what coaches think. Now, the only gripe I have about that is that the mindset of a defensive coach or anyone that plays defense is if I'm guarding and I'm the best defenseman in America, and I'm, if I'm guarding like a guy who's, you know, just going, say I'm going to Duke and he's going nothing to be on the same, but he's going to like Southern Virginia. I get on the ball. I'm running with him. I push him away. Right. Drive him out. Boom. Mom and dad go, yay, great job, Ricky. You did awesome way to stay in front of him. I helped my team. You are correct. But did I really help my team? So, like, that is the reason why. So I am of the mindset that the game has outgrown and not many people know how to teach that. The stick technology, yeah. It has helped attackmen be less, right? They can be less fluid. They don't have to be as protective. Um, the athletes are just – now, people can say whatever. The athletes are bigger and they're stronger. Yeah, they are. There's more of them. There's more kids playing. I don't know. My defense was pretty big. So – and your defense in Brown wasn't small either. Like – and, Adam, your defense in college was not small either. Like, there's you, – you just didn't have as many of them, right? Uh, and I think that's it, Coach. It has been the explosion of the game, which is a spectacular thing. But defense has lagged because the game has been so pushed toward, towards offensive highlights. 
and the offense. But but I tell people all the time, where does everybody rely on to win national championships? It's the rope unit at the midfield. The t- technically, the team with the best rope unit wins win, goes the furthest. But offense wins games, defense wins championships. That is very still, I mean, very much still a true phrase throughout all of athletics, football, baseball, basketball, defense wins those championships, uh, and, you know, and, and including lacrosse. Thank you. Uh, it's really interesting, and, I, and I'll comment and, and then throw it to, to Adam. Um, that's a really interesting answer, and, I, and you, that's really interesting, and I think spot on. I, I'm going to reference the person that you referenced a few minutes ago, Pat McCabe, who, when I was still uh, – had the back inside cover for inside lacrosse not that many years ago. One of my anyway, uh, I I I interviewed Pat and asked him a similar question, and he brought up what which I shared with my guys when I was still coaching at Bates at the time, was that he said the same thing about risk reward. And he said, but but he said, but I think a lot of coaches don't think. They they think the options are either I put the ball on the ground or I take a foul or I get beat. So two of the three things that can happen are negative and only one of the things that can happen is positive. And what, what Pat said, which I thought was really smart and and correct, honestly, is that there are some other things that can happen, like, especially in the shot clock era. Yeah. That guy's now worried, right? That guy is now, and again, if you're thinking about it happening, you know, being really aggressive on ball at the end of the shot clock, now that guy is maybe running full speed. His vision shrinks like mad. He's only thinking about running full speed and protecting his stick. And maybe he takes a bad shot or throws a bad pass. So I still might help dictate pace. I still might dictate them reacting to what I have to do, even if I don't take the ball away. And and I just thought, I thought that was a really smart other level of, of that. Here is what that Coach ball. Simmons used to say. Coach Simmons used to say a great prize fighter comes out throwing the punches first. He doesn't play the defense. He comes out offensively. And I'm a big fan of proactive coaching defense. You know, a correct approach puts a person where you want them. You know, even if it's to their strong hand, you're cutting their abilities in half. You're being proactive. You're not backpedaling, opening, opening. So those, yeah, no, like Pat's totally right. And, you you know, you try to get every mental edge you could. But, yeah, no, and listen, that, that guy is a, you want to talk about number one? Was he good? We all know that. You want to talk about an IQ wise? Like, I, I was honored to play with him when we were in Lake Placid because he would. We would have all of us that knew enough, but all of us knew to take a back seat when Pat spoke. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I'm a pretty knowledgeable guy, coaching the PLL, most people, you know, coaching high school, coaching college. People think I'm a pretty good coach. I knew enough that I wasn't as good a coach or a leader as he was. So you take a back seat to him and you listen. Now that's a guy, I have just as many honors as him, but I learned to shut up and listen to him because we were in a game, even if it was a plastic game, we're still trying to win, you know? So you're right. And that's, that guy's a legend and look what he's done at Delphi. You know, I mean, with the girls program, just transitioning over. It's beautiful. Rick, listening to you speak, it's been so great. We've been really trying to find out exactly this, like, how and why and and who impacted you becoming such an animal on the field, just being next level. And the, the next question is just simply this, what has this game given to you? What has this game given to you that you needed? You know, not necessarily something that you wanted. I'm sure you wanted to have all the success, but what is something that the game has given to you after we've spent this time just 
talking about relationships and flashing back and leadership and opportunities. What will you say thank you to the game for? All right. So the first part of your question is what shaped everything. I think, um, like I said earlier in the podcast, was able to have some freedom. I think, you know, being athletic, (laughs) coming from my family where, uh, you know, you were encouraged to be a tough person. So I think that's a big one. You know, I, I have a, I learned, I don't know how to put it in words, but I learned how to control my anger on a field and unleash it on people as much as I could within rules. And and I have a really bad trait in my life, which is the angrier I get, the more calculated I become. And that hones in perfectly to a game where you can swing a stick at someone and get away with a few shots at a guy and then try to, and in that end, try to embarrass them. I think the fear of failure for me, it's not being, I'm not humble. People who say, oh, it's humbleness. He's so humble. Like, I'm not trying to be humble. Like I said earlier, like I make, you know, I make pretty good money doing what I do thanks to where I'm at. But like, I still in my mind think I make like 30 grand and that that part sucks because I haven't gotten that out of my brain yet. Um, I think, you know, the death of my mom helped as crazy as that sounds, you know, my mother got sick. She, I watched a rapid decline and, you know, I watched her go from a woman at five, one, two fifty in the end of November. And by March, she was dead. And weighed, you know, maybe one one ten, right? I watched her go through all that. I think in lacrosse, that was right in lacrosse season. And that was my outlet. And no one punished me for what was going on in my life. No one, you know, I would leave you guys, I, I left school every day. I forged my mother's signature. She's in the hospital for Christ's sake. I was forging Angela Beers was so easy. Big A's, big B's, nice and easy to write. Every day at 10 o'clock, because you could play and practice. So 10 o'clock, I was out. And I would steal Melinda LeBoy's car, Steve Kissinger's old girlfriend, who went to Cornell, who Melinda is still a dear friend. She lives in Armonk. Um, played field hockey at Cornell. And she used to let me steal her, her Ford Escort. And I was, what, 14? Yeah, 14. No, 13. And I was driving the Escort to... Northern Westchester Hospital in Mount Kisco. And I went every day, parked, sat with my mother, then left, made it home in time for practice, got caught 10 times, didn't give a shit, still kept doing it. But lacrosse was there for me every day when I needed it. And that's why I think my love for the game came out so much. I think I loved all sports, but I don't think I had such a dire love for something that I could pour my heart into and that never questioned what was going on in my life. Does that make sense? You cross the line and never questioned, hey, Rick, you having a bad day, dude? It was just, yo, man, go pick up that ground ball. Like, And my teammates were part of that. So the camaraderie and what lacrosse did for me drove me to become as good as I could be at it because it was my, my sanctuary. 
Like I said earlier, I spent a lot of time thinking about lacrosse. Um, you know, I've spent a lot of time picking up my stick. So that was a big part of, you know, what it did for me in my life. And, and that's only my experiences. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I wish that others could feel the way I feel about the game without having the tragedy, without having the emotions, you know, um, you and all of us, we all know this, we've all been through terrible things. And, uh, you know, it was my spot. And that was what I love about it. And that's why I take it so serious. And, um, you know, I want my kids if I if they could take it the same way and use it for what it's worth, you know, that's the reason why, Adam. And I know you know better than anybody, G. So, you know, but this sport, it never talks back to you. And it's got a and this sport has a great ear. Until I started thinking about it like a year and a half ago. Goddamn game was my medicine game the game and i respect everything that is the culture of it and because i do i respect the hell out of all the culture but it for me you it was it, when my father died it was the medicine again and you know i had some really challenging things in the last years with my own family and lacrosse never turned its back on me and that's you know that's why i hold it so high and that's why it shaped me as much as it was. And I'll be honest, that's my experience. I pray that kids can have that experience. You know, there's not many of us that are going to win national championships. But, you know, what is your national championship? Is it, you know, is it getting up every day? You know, so for me, every time I've been challenged, somehow lacrosse has always been there. And it's it's weird. You know, just like in somehow, you know, you go through stuff like Steve Kissinger, right? Kisses, kiss, and kiss has had some hard times in his life. And, you know, out of the blue, you just think about him and call him, you know, and that's what the, think about, it, that's what the game has done. But all in all, the game used to sprint backwards and now it's walking forwards. Um, but Pete, what do you have as we're winding down here? I just want to say thank you to Rick and and thank you to Adam. Um, we all have our different paths. Uh, we also intertwine a lot, um, for us to have the opportunity to get together and remember some of the things that we have shared to think about some things that, that we haven't thought about, certainly haven't talked about together for a long time. Um, and to just have this opportunity, uh, to be back in it in a different way from a different vantage point, um, hopefully have some interesting conversations with really fascinating people uh, who have passion and love and energy and are smart um, and who have dared to risk things. And I have, I have lots of respect for people that dare to risk things and you dared to risk things and, and probably still dare to risk things. And uh, I'm just appreciative and, and, and thanks. I'm thankful for being in your life and for being in your life, Adam. I, Pete, I, I think I, that was go on, Rick. No, I, you know, I, I am the lucky one here, guys. Okay. You have a podcast. You guys are on the diagonal. That's why I'm doing that, right? I'm not Lee Corso with my pen, who, by the way, is one of my favorites, right? But, uh, 
I'm the lucky one, right? So Adam, I've known you since you were a kid. Coach, I got to know you. You gave me an opportunity most people wouldn't give me, right? That were non-Syracuse guys. And I still remember vividly a lot of Thayer Street memories with guys in that camp that were great. And, you know, you always treated me fairly. You treated my family fairly. Your dad, Adam, treated me, treated my family great. Your dad was a big wig in Westchester, too, and he didn't have to be so nice to me and and do all those things. You know, Coach, you know, I remember you leaving a message with my sister. You said, it's lasagna. It's spelled lasagna, as in the food. Spell it the same way. Like, and she's just, like, laughed her ass off. And, you know, that's what made you who you are, Coach, right? And, and Adam, you know, the stuff that you did early, you know, early in your life that lacrosse became you know you you really were the first no one knows this but you were the first true lacrosse show that's ever been around you know lacrosse talk man adam the crank master pascal it was amazing and then you were known for your shooting prowess so like how fitting was that was 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 socrates you know filming or what did nostradamus have that in one of his books or in his one of his scriptures one of his writings um you know, I think the one thing about all three of us here, you know, I just, I'm really lucky to be here. And I know that every day. I, I know it every day. I know that no matter what I do, I always push forward. And no matter what I do, I have to evolve and change. And that is just life. But if I got lacrosse and friends like you in my life, life's pretty fucking good, guys. Amen. There it is. So I'm going to sign off here. I'm going to say thank you, Rick, for this opportunity to kind of let us into the vault, let us into the cave. This is exactly what I, I knew was in there that I wanted to bring out. You've been a great friend, an ally, a, a hero, a mentor, a legend to me my whole life. And I just want to give this opportunity. I'm so thankful to do this with Pete and that, Rick, you were here to, to launch this for us. But Pete, I'll let you close this down. I think we're great. I think let's go out into January in our lives and uh, let's love each other and love everybody we come in contact with today. Okay. So Pete, you can do the sign off today or do you want me to do it? You do it. Okay. So thanks for joining us here on the Inside Roll with a side of pasta. Special guest, number 47, Rick Beardsley. Thank you very much. Soda.